Hello, good morning. <laughs> well, Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope you're all well and you are well rested. Uh, I'm in education, as you know, and we tend to have about 10 days. So my wife said to me, she said, uh, is your bottom all right? What, what do you mean? Well, you spent a lot of time on it. <laughs> Which means I've been resting because I've been recharging my batteries because we know this is going to be a a busy year. So I had the honour and privilege of doing the first one for this year. And thank you, Chris, for that honour. And I'm thinking, well, Chris said to me, well, why don't you look at Psalm 1? And I'm thinking, that's a good place to start, Psalm 1. You know, as we enter another year... We want to all experience more of God's blessing. You know, we want to experience, as Chris was saying uh, earlier, his favor. Would you uh, put your hand up if you want to experience more of God's favor this year? Oh, I'm in the right place. Yes, of course you do. And we want to do that individually as well as corporately. We all want to, to know more of God's favor on us. And I love what Chris said, you know, it's not just for you, it's for everybody else. For people in your street. I think it was just before Christmas, you know, on our street, I have various customers in my business, and there's a lady, she walks up and down with her dog, Ruth, and she just stopped and she said, you know, my mum's going into hospital, she's got a problem, we don't know what it is, and, you know, our Christmas is all going to be all over the place. And I didn't have the opportunity to pray for her there and then because I was in the car and she was walking past. But I, my spirit was just stirred. So I, I said, it was Christmas Day, and I just rang Ruth, because she only lives down the road. And I said, how's your mum? And she said, well, she's, they found out what it is. There's a problem in the colon, etc." I said, can I pray for you? So just pray for her on the phone, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, bumped into her yesterday. I was in Halfords to get some bits and pieces. I said, how's your mum? She says, well, she's well. Whatever you did, it works. <laughs> yeah? You see? Friends... We're all going to have those type of experiences. God didn't just put you where you are so you could just do your thing. You're there for other people, just to pass on his blessing. Now, we're going to look at Psalm 1. And one of the things that God wants us to be is fruitful. Yeah? Now, we have fruitfulness in the natural. We have many children being born in, in, amongst us, which is wonderful. But we're talking about spiritual fruit here. And the issue is, how can we achieve fruitfulness in 2010 Psalm 1 offers us some keys that we can use that will help us to bear fruit and more importantly fruit that remains so Psalm 1 blessed is the man stroke woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So then, 
Blessed is the man, stroke woman. And when we use the word here, man, it's generic. So you sisters are involved as well. You know, I come from education and we are forever being pounded by equality and diversity issues. Yeah? So consequently, if you say man, you have to say woman. So, what does it mean here? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Well, it just means, in the Hebrew, that word blessed means happy. Is the man or woman who does not go walking in the counsel of the wicked. Now, when it says counsel of the wicked, what we're we talking about here, it's, what it actually means is someone who doesn't take their advice from the wicked. And in, fact, we, in fact, before we go forward, we have to ask ourselves, well, who are the wicked? You know, are they just murderers and philanderers? Well... Well, let's just define it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, a guy called Paul, preaching to the Romans, he said this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all, God, un, all godlessness and all wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What you need to understand here, the wicked... As far as the Bible is concerned, are those people who organize their lives apart from God? These, those people or, agent, or agencies that organize their affairs apart from God. In other words, when they go about their business, they're not thinking about if God wills this, if God wills that. They just go and do their stuff. They organize their lives apart from God. And what Paul says is if, if people organize their lives apart from God, ungodly, it, it, it always leads to unrighteousness. Because if there is no God, you can do what you like. I was reading the other day a book that Chris gave me. It's a big book. It's called, uh, well, a guy called uh, J.F. Christopher. Christopher writes his name. And it's called The Mission of God. Big book. And in it, he said this he said, about the fall. He said, the thing about the fall that was so terrible wasn't just the fact that man now had the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the thing. He said, they could choose what was good. <clears throat> Excuse me. They could choose what was good or evil. In other words, when Eve ate that fruit, she became like God and she could decide what's good and what's bad. And we have a society that has, because it's rejected God, has decided what is good and what is bad. Or put it another way, we have a society that calls black, white and white, black. The council of the wicked is any society, any organization, any group of people who decide that they're going to organize their affairs apart from God. So we have a society now, we have a a secular society. We have a, a humanistic and rationalistic society. Big words for this time of year, I know. But it's it's a society that basically puts man at the center. It says, look, science, that is the answer. If we cannot prove it by empirical study, it does not exist. That was really the root of the enlightenment. If you can't prove it scientifically, then it doesn't count. Then we've got a society that said there are no boundaries. 
Rationalism. Now we have a society that actually says, as I think Jen, one writer put it, he said it like this. He said, if the Enlightenment said that man knows everything, then post-modernity, this society, no one knows anything. No one knows anything. In other words, let me put it to you like this. We believe, the scripture tells us, Jesus said this. He said, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to God but by me. That is an affront to the society that we are in. Hello? That's an affront to the society we're in because they're saying there are many ways to God. Islam, yes. You know, Buddha, new age, old age. (laughs) Nothing new about new age. You know, it's syncretistic religion. That's religion where you have a bit of this and a bit of that. It's called pizza religion. Yeah? You know, we have pepperoni. Just put everything on it. (laughs) I will eat it. Yeah? That's what, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of something else. Syncretistic religion. I'll say. Freemasonry, you know the thing about Freemasonry? It's a syncretistic religion. Because people bring their religion to it. That's why you, there's such a heavy curse if you get involved in it. Because God hates syncretism. That's why he threw the ten tribes out. To into this Syrian captivity because of their syncretism, because they kept mixing Jehovah. Look, we have a society that wants to mix it all up. If you go and give a clear message, a clear absolute, you are affronting the society that we're in. So, the Council of the Wicked. Now, I teach, so I have a staff room, and in the staff room, some of the stuff that goes down there is not good. So I avoid going there. I say, hello, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, I get my registers. In fact, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worse than that. What I do is I put my registers in the room the night before, so I don't even have to go in there. But I'll come in, bless you, and I'm out of there, right? But you may not work in a staff room. And you might say, well, I'm not sitting in the council of the wicked. That's not what we're talking about. What the council of the wicked is where, is, where do you get your information from? When you wake up in the morning, click Radio 4. This is John Tinson here speaking, blah, 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 or whatever. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Or you open a newspaper and you read, whether it's a, a, a broadsheet or a tabloid. I'm not mentioning any names. Right? You listen to the radio. And What's happening is your worldview is being formed by groups of people. And if you've ever decided to look at the news and you watch the news channels and you read the paper, you'll find it's all the same. It's the same news. And in fact, some newspapers report the same thing, but incorrectly. So, each day you wake up, you have a choice. You can either run to the current affairs and get all the information on what is going on in the world and the political views of such and such and such and Mr. Obama is doing this and the Copenhagen thing and blah 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 and be depressed which is what generally happens or you can look at that and get a different perspective if you get 
all your information from all those sources and you never spend any time getting any information from God or getting his perspective on on it, whose counsel are you taking? What we're going to do this morning is, I want, as I'm speaking to you, think about how much time you spend in this book, the Word, and how much time you spend reading the newspaper, listening to the news, getting gathering information. I'm not saying it's wrong, but if it's all I'm saying is, we need to get some balance here. So, walking in the council of the wicked doesn't actually mean that you sit around with wicked people it just means that you take your information from the media and you don't get another perspective on it now when it says they do not work walk in the walk in the council of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners does this mean now that you must no longer be around people who are not followers of Jesus. No, well, it doesn't mean that. In fact, Paul had an issue with this. There were some real problems in the church. Bad problems. 1 Corinthians. This is bad when one of the members is sleeping with his father's mother. That's bad. Ooh. You read it, it's in the book. All right? Don't have to read it now. <laughs> so Paul writes to them and says, look, guys, this is wrong. And if there's someone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus and is walking in that way, don't associate with them. Now, when they read read that, they now thought that that meant that they shouldn't associate with anybody in the world. And Paul says, look, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all... not at all meaning that people, the people of this world who are immoral or greedy. And this is what he said. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. So you can't live in isolation. You're going to be around these people. But what he's saying here is this. We should not walk in their well-trodden paths of thinking or behavior. That's what that word walk means in the Hebrew. We should not walk in their well-trodden paths of thinking or behavior. In other words, don't believe everything that you read in the newspaper and everything that you hear on Radio 4 and everything that you hear on the news channel. We should resist certain ways of thinking. Because you see, what happens is, when you do that, it sets up patterns, paradigms, and ways of thinking. And later on, we're going to see how... Paul tells us that we have to break down that kind of thinking. Someone put it like this. There are thoughts that, are, that the enemy has programmed into us using people, culture, doctrine, experience. It's error of thinking. It's human wisdom that believes it has no need for God. It's high-minded and thinks of itself superior to God. Remember... When you are listening to things in the media, remember who's behind it. We have a society that they don't want the God thing. You know, I, I tried to find some Christmas cards. Maybe I left it a bit too late. I went to WH Smith. Could I find a religious Christmas card? Could I what? Christmas. The films that I remember, Elf. Uh, yeah, well, you would remember that one because I was one. <laughs> Elf, um, Superman, 
And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you see? And I thought to myself, well, what happened to the, kind of the religious bits? You know, it's all about Santa Claus and sleighs, and it's nothing to do, you see, secularization. So, what's the antidote? Well, Psalm 2 says this, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. His pleasure and intrinsic desire is to be pleasing to God. The law is written on his or her heart. Now, you see, one of the problems we have here is this, that someone who delights in his law, people say, well, do you mean delighting in the law? God's word is what we're talking about. Most of us don't find it easy to delight in God's law. You know, yes, we will get up and read our Bible this morning. See, there's no enthusiasm at all. (laughs) See, you know, if there's a choice, if there's the paper, the Bible, which one would you go for? (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. Exactly right. Most of us, I say most, but sometimes it's strong, isn't it? We, we shouldn't go for the paper, but we know, we, it's funny, we know which one will do us good, but we'd much rather read the paper because there are interesting things in there. Who's doing what with who? <laughs> but in this wonderful scripture, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, God says this, he says, look, before the law was external, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. It was external to you and you couldn't keep it. This is Israel. But he says, the time's coming when I'm going to put the law in your heart. And you're going to have an inner desire to read it. And an inner desire to be pleasing to me. Because God knows how we are. We are intrinsic beings, not extrinsic. We, we are motivated from within. You say, what am I talking about? Come on. Those of you who have teenage kids... Don't do anything in the house. Mine do. Well, sometimes. <laughs> right? You can't get them to do anything. Young woman now, she doesn't do anything in the house. She paints the nails. Everything is nice. She's the makeup, the toner, cleanser, moisturizer, all of that stuff. Right? <laughs> can't get her out of her bedroom. She doesn't make any contribution at all. She wants to make sure she's got the right foundation on and look good. Then one day, she has a boyfriend. Hmm. And he's coming to tea. Hmm. <laughs> so, next thing, it, this girl who would not even pick up the, you know, the, 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 the plate cloth to wipe the surface is. <laughs> <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, hmm, what has happened? It's called love. <laughs> there is now an inner desire to do the things that she would not normally do. God knows this. Now you see, you've got the point that God knows how we are. So what he says, I'm going to write the law on your heart. I'm going to put this inner desire. So if there's a choice between the newspaper and the word, you're going to choose the word every time. And more importantly, the word's going to be in you. Yeah? It's not going to become something that's upon you. It's going to be in you. Big difference. See, when something's on you, it's like, yeah, well, we have to do this. When it's in you, yeah, let me add it. Which would you prefer? To have it in you, of course. So, what's the process? Well, it says here that he meditates on the law day and night. 
Well, does this read mean he reads his Bible day and night? No, I don't think it means that. Because none of us could achieve that. What does it mean then? Well, he reads God's word. He reads it. Deuteronomy 6, 1, uh, 6, 10 and 2 Timothy 3.16. Go away and look at the scriptures. Friends, basic, but he reads it. Secondly, he studies God's word. Now to study, now, studying is good. It says to study to prove thyself an approved workman. Rightly dividing the word of truth. He meditates. Now of the three, the meditation bit is the most important. You know why? Because that's where you apply the word to your heart. So you're meditating on the scriptures. Let me give you one that's an easy one. Like husbands love your wives. For those of us who have wives. And you begin to meditate. And you think to yourself, well, am I, how am I really loving Eileen? Am I really loving her? Love is patient. Love is kind. See, I'm really going down to 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things. Am I loving her that way? Father, you know, I'm failing here. Because you don't even see me. (laughs) So, Father, I ask you now that you will help me to love the way that you love. That's, you see, when you start to do that, you're taking the word and you're applying it to your heart. And the Holy Spirit is reminding you other scriptures. You see, that's meditation. Meditation is taking the word and applying it. It's to chew, to masticate, to imbibe. Yeah? The most important part. Joshua said, you know, this book of the Lord shouldn't depart out of your mind, but you should meditate on it. Make it a part of you. We call it the word becoming flesh. Incarnational. Meditation is the process that makes that happen. He invites the Holy Spirit to guide him into all truth. When you meditate, you ask the Holy Spirit. To guide you into truth, all truth. And John 16, 13 is there for you to look at. Because he promises that if you ask the Holy Spirit, as you come to the scriptures, he will guide you into all truth. So what's the result of this activity? <laughs> Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. He renews his conscious and subconscious mind. You see, when you read the scriptures, this is what happens, man. It's brainwashing. We might as well just tell you straight. It's brainwashing. It is brainwashing. You see, but who would you prefer to be brainwashed by? Because you will be. Yeah? You can either be brainwashed by secular humanism and all of that rationalism and all of that secularism that goes on, or you can be brainwashed by the word of God. And this is how it works. When you read it in the evening or the morning, right, it gets into you. And this is the powerful part. If you read it at night, I've got to get into this, it goes into your subconscious mind, which has far more power than your conscious mind. So you're feeding the word into your conscious mind. And Paul says that what we're doing here is that we're not being conformed to the pattern of thinking that's out there. And there is a pattern of thinking that is out there. And 
the only way to start to change that is actually read God's word. Your, your, it renews your conscious, it renews your conscious and subconscious mind. But it also breaks down wrong thinking patterns. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive or obedient to Christ. Look, this is how it works. You have thought patterns or things that you have learned that you, that you have learned as you've, as you've been growing up. Then you begin to read God's word and all of a sudden you realize that that behavior or that type of thinking is not godly. So by God's grace and mercy, you begin to change that way of thinking. This is the process. You know, Cognitive retherapy or something, whatever it's cognitive therapy. Well, the Bible had it in there well before the psychologists did. We change the way that we think as we read God's word, and we and that changes our paradigms, the way that we look at things. So, what does the psalmist say? He is like. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Don't you want to be like that this year? I want to be like that. I know that. Well, why are they fruitful? Well, I'm going to take you somewhere. Why, why is he fruitful? Why is it that when the pressure's on, man, he just looks good? Yeah? He's just... <laughs> you know, everybody's like, man, how can a guy just... He, I think Chris made some inference to it that everybody else is kind of panicking but you've got your poise it's just you're just looking good you've got poise in the midst of the stress and the pressure take you to a little scripture here two kings 1930 now situation is just simple the 10 tribes have just gone into captivity Assyria come up to Jerusalem to say look you're you're coming next and Hezekiah's like, no, you're not. And he says, yes, you are, because all those gods that looked after those people are gone. Your God isn't like our God. And he says, well, and Hezekiah says, I don't think so. So anyway, Hezekiah prays to God, and God sends a word by Isaiah. And this is what he says. He says a number of things. But he says, once more, the remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. I've been waiting to get on this one. Because you see, here's the point. Why does his leaf not wither? It's because he's got root life. There's a depth there. There's a secret life before God. In word and in prayer. Friends, Sunday's not enough. You see, some of you, I know you know who you are. Right? You live from Sunday to Sunday. After that we've had the preach here and that, you're kind of topped up for the week and you go on that all week. Your Bible, it's kind of, well, you don't open it that often, right? And then Sunday morning you come back and you get another top up. But that's not how it works, friends. If you want to have fruit that remains, if you want to be like a stream planted by water, you need to have a secret life before God. You need to have a time where you go to God with the word and with prayer on a regular basis. I know this is heresy. But I'm going to say. You cannot 
you cannot maintain an effective, fruitful Christian experience if you don't have a quiet time. Well, I thought we got rid of that with the evangelicals. No. Whether you have it in the morning or the evening or midday is up to you. But the point is this. This is about a relationship with God. The reason we, we didn't talk about quiet times is because people, when they didn't have it, they felt guilty. And there was so much guilt going around, they just thought well, we better drop that as well because the people already feel condemned because every Sunday they're preaching about sin and you are doing secret sin. So you know, now you're not having a quiet time. It's just another one to just kill people with. But no, we don't preach that kind of way here. You need to have a regular time where you... Get with God in the secret place. You see, your life needs to be like an iceberg. A little bit on top, lows below. Most of us, it's a lot on top, nothing below. You know how we know? Because when the pressure comes, you fall apart. That's how we know. But you see, this guy here, it says he's like a tree planted by streams, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. In other words, when the pressure is on, when the stress is on, when the difficulties come, when the challenges come, and they will come, he is able to draw up his life from his roots. And if you have a regular time where you have intimacy with God, it's not just about reading your Bible, it's about actually having a relationship with Jesus. That's where we made a mistake. You see, when, you don't, when a quiet time is not a, a relationship with Jesus, it's just... Another legal thing that you have to do. And when you, don't, when you do it, you feel good. And when you don't, you feel bad. No, that's not what it's about. It's about a time where you get intimacy with God. It's a, in private prayer and meditation, we find our true identity and sense of worth, which is drawn from our times of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It's where we are loved and comforted and affirmed. Tell them I'm not here. (laughs) Look, this is how it works for me, guys. I get hurt, I get wounded. I I know you don't, but I do. (laughs) And when I'm hurting, what I've learned, you see, I can go to various places for comfort. And some of those places are not good. When I'm down. But what I'm learning now is... I can come to my heavenly father in the place of prayer and I can just sit down there and I can say, Lord, I just release forgiveness to X, Y, Z. And Lord, I just ask you now, just love on my heart, just affirm me afresh because I need to know your affirmation. Because if I don't, I'm going to go to the wrong places like pornography or go to eroticism or go to drink or go to whatever it is that is your thing. And we all have our places of comfort. And by the way, those places of comfort are idols. Any place that you go for comfort other than God is an idol. See, that was the problem with the children of Israel. Anytime they got into trouble, they, they started to go to Asherah, Prozal, and the rest of it. But in, in the modern society, we have more idols than we realize. But we don't call them idols. But any place that you go for comfort, other than God, is an idol. Ooh, just touched on something. 
And I come to him and I say, Lord, I need your comfort. I need your affirmation. Because, by the way, if you're a husband and wife, of course your wife can encourage you, but only God can comfort you. Only he can touch you in places no one else can. And many times I've come out of there and I've just experienced his presence, tears running down my face. I'm just allowing the Father to love me, affirm me as Dennis, his beloved son, with whom he is well pleased. You need to hear that for yourself from the Father in the place, your quiet time or your place of prayer. It's not just the place where you just read the Bible. Of course, you read the Bible, not just meditate. It's a place where God comes and interacts with you and you with him. This is how we learn to abide in Christ. So then, what are the keys? And this brings us to a close, really. Well, we need to read God's word if we want to be fruitful. We need to make it a regular pattern. And I'll tell you what I do, and I've been doing it for years. I have three markers in my Bible. One in the New, one in the Old, one in Proverbs, and one in the New Testament. And I make a practice to read from three parts of there every day. How much you read is up to you, but the thing is do it. Just do it. I've just finished Revelation again for the upteenth time. I've finished New Testament for the upteenth time. I think I'm just up to Leviticus again. And I've read it more times than most of your the age of your grandparents. I've been reading it that long. But it's just a regular pattern. And by the way, let me say something. If it's not a habit, it won't happen. If it's not a habit, it won't happen. This morning, you brushed your teeth, didn't you? You didn't think about it, did you? You just, even though you are kind of, you, yeah? It's, you didn't have to think, oh, I must get up and brush my teeth. And when I have finished, I must wash my face and do my arms, and I won't go any further. <laughs> right? Ablutions. It's a habit. And you know why most people don't have a regular time? Because it's not a habit. And you have to consciously think about it. And if you consciously have to think about it, you ain't going to do it. How many days, how, many, how long does it take you to establish a good habit? Six weeks, 21 days is what they reckon. 21 days. So get the habit. Now this morning is not to make you feel condemned because you ain't reading your Bible. It's, it's not about that. It's about you getting a relationship with Jesus where he, he, he speaks to you. You speak with him. You grow in your faith and your walk with him. You begin to hear his voice. And then you, you, you realize that the blessing of God is on you. The favor of God is on you. So when you go out into the community, you can reach out with God's love and God's mercy. You know why? Because you experienced it in the place of prayer. You experience his love in that place of prayer. In that place of intimacy. You experience his forgiveness in that place of intimacy. And because of that, you have God's blessing on you. And by the way, when he heals you up and when he loves on you, when he forgives you and shows you mercy, it's so that you can pass it on to others. When he comforts you, it's for that reason. Study God's word. Now, what I would say about study is you're not going to do this all the time. But find out some of the key truths of the Bible. The whole purpose of us doing the, the, the big story is to get you into the book. 
Now, not all of you are going to be great students, but the thing is you can learn about some of the basic truths of the Bible. There's lots of material out there. The only challenge with study is it fills up your head. <laughs> you know, you can have lots of knowledge, but you need love too. Meditate on God's word. And if you ask me which is the most important, read and meditate. Because the reading part allows the scriptures to wash you. The meditation part is you beginning to apply the word to your heart so the word becomes flesh. And that is crucial. Invite the Holy Spirit. Always invite the Holy Spirit to guide you into the truth. Apply the word of God to your life. And here's the important thing. Develop a secret life before God in the word and in, the word and in prayer. Should we stand? If you've not done so already, commit this year to a regular time of prayer and Bible reading. Set aside a time and a place. Could the band come up, please? Yeah. Because as I was preparing this, you know, I just felt like the Holy Spirit just reminded me of a scripture. Jesus is speaking to the churches in Revelation. And he says this. And I want you to hear this. Because you see, Jesus has been coming every day to your life and knocking at the door. But you've been too busy with good things, even legitimate things. But Jesus comes and he knocks again at the beginning of this year. And he's coming every day to knock. And this is what he says. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And you know, this is a year where you need to open the door and you need to commit afresh having a a regular time of intimacy with your father and if you know that this is something that you know you need to do I want you to raise your hands just raise your hand yeah bless your heart I'm going to pray the father's blessing on you that God will strengthen you this year as you make your commitment to spend time with him he says that if you open the door he will come in And it says here, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. He wants to share his heart with you, friends. He wants to have intimacy with you. He went to the cross to get rid of your sin so that you and him could walk in the garden in the cool of the day together. So this is your year where you make that commitment. I'm going to pray God's, the Father's blessing on you. And pray that God will strengthen you. And I want you to hear this personally. My son, my daughter. I love you dearly. I chose you when I planned creation. You're not an accident. 
or a mistake. You're my treasured possession. And I take delight in you. I rejoice over you with singing and I will quiet you with my love. I will bless you with the healing from any wounds of rejection, neglect and abuse that you have suffered. And I will complete the work I've started in you in Christ. I bless you with overflowing peace. The peace that only the Prince of Peace can give. A peace beyond comprehension. I bless you, your life with fruitfulness, good fruit, much fruit and fruit that remains. I bless you with success. As you receive my abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness through Christ. I bless you with health and strength of body, soul and spirit. I bless you with overflowing prosperity, enabling you to be a blessing to others. I bless you with spiritual influence as my son and my daughter, whom I love and favor. I bless you with a depth of spiritual understanding and a close work with your Lord. The word of God is a lamp to your feet and a lamp light to your path. I give you my Holy Spirit, a spirit of power and of love and of a self-discipline. I bless you with pure and edifying relationships in life. You have favor with God and with people. I bless you with my everlasting abounding love. You will minister God's comfort and grace to others. I bless you with my eternal presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are blessed, my son, my daughter. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Amen.